as we look ahead to the 2024 election, because yes, even though it's 2021, we need to do that, because that's the type of election cycle that we live in now, one thing seems abundantly clear, and it is something that pundits on both the left and the right agree about. Donald Trump is the frontrunner for the Republican nomination in 2024. Most people, particularly in the media industrial complex, seem convinced that he will run again. I'm not, and here's why. I'm Dr. Nolte, and this is Blind Politics. Welcome, podcast listeners, to another episode of Blind Politics with Dr. Nolte. I am Dr. A.J. Nolte, Assistant Professor of Government at Regent University's Robertson School of Government. Once again, views expressed in this podcast do not represent those of either Regent University or the Robertson School. Remember that you can rate and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Please do that as it helps us raise the visibility of this podcast. We don't advertise, and so it is all by word of mouth. You can find us on Facebook at Blind Politics with Dr. Nolte and on the Instagram and Facebook feeds for the Robertson School. Okay, so I am at some point before the end of the year going to be doing a 2024 presidential power rankings podcast. And what I suspect will shock a lot of people is that, and this is a rankings, power rankings in terms of the Republican primary. What may shock a lot of people is that right now in my head, Donald Trump is not number one. That's not because I think if he decides to run, he's not the most likely person to get the nomination, but because I am not convinced that he's actually going to run again in 2024. I know this is a very counterintuitive take, and part of the reason I'm recording this is because I want to put down a marker so that everybody can point and laugh if I'm wrong, and I acknowledge that there's a pretty good chance that I am wrong about this. This is my assessment of things right now. That certainly could change, and nobody's been right about Donald Trump ever, okay? Like, you have as good a chance predicting what the weather's going to be like in Virginia Beach in March. Well, no, that's not true. You know in Virginia Beach in March it's going to rain. You really don't know what Donald Trump is going to do tomorrow, okay? But I think a pretty persuasive case can be made that Donald Trump will not run for president in 2024. I don't think anybody is making that argument and making that case. I don't know that that many people are really thinking about it publicly. I suspect a lot of people in Republican politics who are convincing themselves that they want to be president, of which there are a ton, a lot of those folks are probably convincing themselves of the case that I'm about to make. That doesn't mean they're right or wrong, but it's not getting a lot of press publicly. And so I think it's worth talking about the reasons that might militate in Trump's mind against him running, because there's a pretty good possibility that he won't, and you know we should look at that, poss- at that possibility. I think part of the reason, though, that we are not talking about this is because essentially the Trump era, the Trump years, has gotten the media, the Democrats, large segments of the Republican base, and just generally our political atmosphere, I guess, ecosystem is maybe another word. There's a there's a, a sort of Pavlovian mechanism where we are trained to orient things toward and around the person of Donald Trump. And because of that mechanism, I think there is a real tendency on the part of everybody to just sort of assume that he's running because they're so used to him being the center of the news cycle. And so what, like, I I think there's almost like a cognitive dissonance, like people can't conceive of the possibility that he won't run because we have forgotten how to understand the political universe without him. 
This is really true, I think, of the media. Like, Joe Biden, there's been a lot of policy stuff, but the media, I think, feels a little protective of Biden. And also, he's not, like, going out and doing crazy things. My favorite sort of non-political commentary on Trump, like, it's very hard to find good comedy on Trump. I'm, I'm just going to, like, say that. Which is weird, because Trump is objectively funny. Like, whether you agree with him or not, or you don't like him, like, stuff that he does is objectively funny, and mocking him would also be objectively funny. But for whatever reason, you have literally, like, one of the, the people who should be the single greatest source of gold for comedians in the history of the American presidency. And they all, like, take him super seriously. You know, we could go back on that. But there's one guy who actually made a really funny joke about Trump. And that's John Mulaney. John Mulaney, the, the comedian. And his, his bit about Trump is, like, Trump is like a horse in a hospital. It might do good things. It might do bad things. It might not. But, like, you're so busy grappling with the fact that there's a horse in a hospital that you just can't process the rest of what's happening around you because there's a horse in the hospital. And... It's like we're used to now seeing the horse in the hospital and it's inconceivable now for a lot of people in the political space that there could be hospitals without horses in them. And we have not like been able to rewire our political brains to the idea that there, that there is in fact such a thing, that there may be a future in which there are hospitals in which horses are not doing things in the hospital, right? Whether you like or don't like those things. So that, that's, that's a big part of this, I think. But another part of it is, you know, Trump loves attention and making coy noises like you're thinking about announcing that you're going to run your, you know, announcing your presidential, like it gets his name in the headlines. And I think Trump gets an endorphin hit from both being loved and hated. As long as you're paying attention to him, it's good. If you're paying attention to anybody else, it's bad. But if you're paying attention to him, whether it's good attention, bad attention is good. Like that's, that's his happy place. And so, you know, he's not getting that, right? Because what was his main vehicle for doing that? It's Twitter. And of course, Twitter has, has banned him, which personally, I, I, I believe that Twitter banning Trump should be counted as an in-kind in contribution to the Republican National Senatorial Committee and the Re Republican Congressional Committees. Because on the one hand, then you don't have candidates for the House and the Senate who have to respond to everything that Trump tweets. But on the other hand, it makes it really easy for Republicans to run as the party of like fighting big tech. So it's one of those things that's like, a, you know, if, if they thought they were like hurting the right by doing that, it's a, it's a double gift to conservatives. So, you know, unintended consequences. I'm sure that's not what Twitter had in mind when they deplatformed Trump. But to me, that's that's the impact because it would be much easier for Democrats to make the case that everyone should still vote based on Trump. The point being, Trump not being on Twitter makes it much harder for Democrats to make the case that he is still at the center of, of our political life and that he's still in everybody's heads and should be. But it's it's clear that for the media in particular, he is in everybody's heads. And I think part of it is just because he's such good copy. Again, love him or hate him, conservative media, mainstream media, whatever, you always have something to talk about with Trump. And it's not particularly like hard. It, it makes your job easy. It's like, click, 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 you're done. So it's just assumed, I think, for most people that he's going to run again. I don't think he will. I just am not convinced he will. There are a couple of reasons for that. And I will break these reasons down into two categories. The one that I think is less important and the one that I think is far more important. The less important one is the political. 
And the far more important is the personal. My analysis of, of Trump's character. And people are going to say, oh, you're talking about Trump's character. You're going to say something negative. No, everybody has character, good character, bad character, unique character. And those aspects of your personality drive your behavior to a, a large extent. And I think if you step back and look at Trump, there are certain patterns of his that lead me to believe that he is probably ultimately when all is said and done, he's not going to run. I don't think he's going to run. I think he's got, uh, you know, he's, he's going to do something else and I'll, I'll break that down. But let's start with the political. So here's the political math and it's, it's fairly basic. Joe Biden is president. Donald Trump is not on center stage. He can go have rallies, but the rallies are not getting covered the way they used to because other things are happening. The rallies have an immense amount of influence in specific areas and specific chunks of the country where he's popular. They may have some impact on primaries and stuff, but he's not center stage. Joe Biden is center stage and opposition to Joe Biden is center stage. And Donald Trump is not in position to be the leading figure of opposition to Joe Biden because he's not in government. There's two ways that you can be sort of defined as the person who is, you know, the leader of the opposition to a president. One is to be a governor. The other is to be a member of the House or a member of the Senate. Okay. What that means is that most of the people who might run against Trump in, in a presidential primary are going to be in the arena because they're in positions. So you think about, you know, the, the crew in the Senate that wants to run. You're Tom Cotton, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio. They all want to run. You think about governors like Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis. They all want to run. Tim Scott, a senator, he, he definitely wants to run, right? These are all people who are in the arena on a regular basis and are going to be getting more press from opposing Biden. The other thing, too, is that primary voters can be sort of a what have you done for me lately type of, of crew. And when you have somebody who's been out of it for a while, like so Mitt Romney is the example, that person tends to win because there's a sort of next in line mentality. They ran. They did, an okay, they did a decent job. It might be their turn. Next in line candidacies don't always go that well. All right. So, you know, th there are things that Trump could obviously do to mitigate against that. But the country's moving on, and the country's moving on issues-wise. I would venture to say that issues from CRT to vaccine mandates to COVID response in general to the border to Afghanistan, all of those things are probably looming as large, if not larger than, the 2020 election in the minds of, of many Republican voters. Because things continue to happen. 2020 election in, in political gears is a long time ago. And the further away we get from it, the more other issues will become prominent. And so, and insofar as Donald Trump is, is focusing heavily on the 2020 election, which has been where most of his attention is, he's going to be increasingly out of step with just in general where the political debate and discussion is. It's not necessarily that his, his hardest core supporters are going to change what they believe about that. It's just that over time, that issue has less salience because things are happening, right? We're not in a vacuum. It doesn't stay January 5th or January 7th or whatever forever, indefinitely. This is, I think, going to be something that comes back to bite the Democrats. I mean, if by the time you're hearing this, you probably know whether Chairman McAuliffe has won or lost. Regardless, the election has been much closer than it should have been for him. And the reason for that is because he's not focusing on what voters care about. He's focusing on Trump and he is not focusing on issues. And you don't really win by running against an ex-president. But also, 
you don't really win by running against the last election either. And so that fixation politically is, is a problem for Trump. The other thing that I will say about this is I don't think polling is, is necessarily dispositive here, but I saw a poll from Echelon Insights recently, which is a Republican firm, and they've got Biden at 48%, Trump at 42%. Now, Biden's approval ratings have cratered over the past couple of months, right? Trump should be doing better than 42% against Biden. He got higher than 42% in the election against Biden in 2020 when Biden's numbers were considerably better than they are now recognizing the fact that there's a certain amount of social desirability bias that means the Trump supporters are maybe a little bit less likely to say that to a pollster or even answer a poll. So even factoring that in, even if you assume that he's like doing about as well as he did in 2020, he does as well as he did in 2020 and he doesn't win. Okay. He needs to do better. He needs to expand the coalition from 2020 because he not only needs to win, but, you know, just based on the dynamics of where things are electorally, he needs to win by a comfortable enough mar margin that the the crazy folks on the other side can't claim that he stole the election the same way that that he did in 2020. And if you don't think that will happen in 2024, if you don't think that if Trump wins in a close election against Biden, that people on the left are going to be saying exactly the same stuff that people on the right are saying today, I have a bridge to sell you. I have some swampland to sell you. You have not been paying attention if that's if that's what you think is going to happen. If you think there's some sort of virtue on the left where they would never claim that election was stolen, you have not been paying attention to anything that's happened since 2000. Okay, so he's got to expand. He's got to expand significantly. Now, leave aside whether we think he can do that or not. I think that actually there's a possibility that he could, if he was a lot, if he ran a lot more focused and disciplined campaign than he did last time, which whether he can do that or not is is a is a different question, but I, I do think there is a, a capacity for that. I think 2020 was not the ceiling for Republicans in terms of increasing their short share of the votes among minorities. So, you know, I, I'm not saying this in the sense that he can't, I'm saying that he's going to have to. And I would want to see more evidence at this point that there's some sort of buyer's remorse for people with Biden, even as their approval ratings are, are going down. You'd want to see some polls where Trump is closer than that. So yeah, those are some of the, the political factors. I mean, also there's just the fact that even people who think that Trump was robbed are probably interested, even people who support Trump, even people who are going to tell pollsters that they support Trump might be saying, okay, well, yes, but we need a new face. It's time for a new face. We need to, we need to make sure that we can beat these people. And that's the most important thing, right? These are not people who are anti-Trump, okay? These are not voters who are, are going to poll and say, ah, oh, yeah, you know, we don't support Trump. They hate the left enough. And they don't trust the media enough that they'll say they support Trump just to troll him. And they do to a certain extent. They appreciate the fact that he fought. But I suspect that a lot of Republican voters are kind of quietly thinking, you know, it would be nice to have somebody new. It would be nice to have somebody who could do the good stuff that Trump did, but maybe not antagonize some of our voters that we need, right? Who could expand the coalition without shrinking it in other areas. It would be nice to have somebody who was more of a fresh face. And so, you know, it's not something that you're going to capture in polling. Because this is a demographic that's, that's hard to pull, especially on Trump, where there's a certain amount of like, you know, I'll use an analogy here. I'm a Packers fan. And among other Packers fans, you might have a conversation, you know, especially like somebody who's a cheesehead from, from Wisconsin. You might have a conversation about how, how they're frustrated with Aaron Rodgers after the way things went down the summer with him. You know, sort of playing footsie with the team and, you know, leaking a bunch of stuff and, and sort of being petulant about his whole mentality. 
you know, toward toward the front office and and like being really just playing things weird. But if somebody else from another team criticizes your quarterback, you might not say that. You know, well, you know, he's he's good and, and we like him and blah 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 blah, right? Because that's your team. He's your guy, right? You don't talk out of school. You can have a fight with your brother or your cousin or you know somebody else in your family, and you can give your parents you know a hard time, but nobody else is allowed to do that. Okay, I suspect that sort of somewhat tribal factor is going to mask any hesitancy that people who are Trump voters and Trump supporters might have about him running again in polling. But I think smart political operators are going to know that that's a possibility, that there's going to be a certain amount of reluctance there. And of course, primaries are a secret ballot, right? So those are some of the political factors. It's just, it's hard to stay relevant when you are not the center of the universe and you have to be smart you have to be focused you have to be disciplined you have to play the game in a certain way to put yourself in that position and it's just really hard to do that as an ex-president so that's the political but i think the main reason the most important reason why i think trump is not going to run is personal okay trump hates losing <laughs> i think it's it's pretty non-controversial to say trump hates losing he has the appearance of being very risk tolerant, of having a high degree of risk tolerance. And I think that's true in some ways, but I don't think that's as true where his personal reputation for winning is concerned. He does not want to be seen as somebody who loses. I think the old maxim from the movie Patton would sort of describe Trump's view of things. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. And he does not want to be seen as a loser in any way, shape, or form. Can't do it. Can't handle it. And he will, he will not risk something that will make him seem that way. I'll give you an example, and this is more in the business world, right? I have friends who started a coffee shop. Hat tip, brown mustache. Annapolis, Maryland, if you're ever in that area, their coffee's great. So my friends have, have been working on you know, this, this coffee shop. They now have another business called Curate. Hat tip, if you want to get good food in Annapolis, Maryland, also there. Right? But... You fail at business before you succeed. And this is actually their second go at a coffee shop. They had a go at a coffee shop, you know, it didn't work out for complicated reasons, and then they had another go at it later, right? That's how business works. You try to start a restaurant, it doesn't work. Like, you may fail a few times, but you, generally speaking, when you fail, you don't like completely switch industries, okay? Trump does something in an industry, like call it, you know, Trump Steaks or Trump Airlines or, or whatever, and if it doesn't work, it's not like he tries again. He goes back to the well and, and goes on to something else. He doesn't have that tolerance for failure of an enterprise that he does. And he doesn't tend to, if something doesn't work, he doesn't tend to go back to it, right? Now, to the extent that he is generally convinced that he did not lose in 2020, that may ameliorate that tendency somewhat. But then there's also the fact that you're going to have somebody 78 years old. I don't get the impression that he really enjoyed the day-to-day -day grind of being president. Like, being president is not an easy job. It is very challenging. It is it is a lot of slog and work and details and things like that. I think Trump enjoyed running for president. I think he enjoyed a lot of the communication stuff. But he got really jazzed up about the election thing because that's a fight where he could say that he's been, you know, he, he does best when the, he can say that there's a fight and he's been wronged and he's been treated unfairly and he can punch back. Like that's his, that's his comfort zone. Some of the minutiae of being president, not so much, I would say. You could take that as a positive or a negative thing. 
Some people have it, some people don't. Some people like that kind of stuff, some people don't. You know, he's, he's able to delegate, but then it's harder, you know, he's had a harder time maintaining staff. So what does that mean? Well, what it means is he wants to be seen as somebody who wins, somebody who fights and wins. And if there is a possibility of losing, he wants to be able to say it's not, it's not on him, it's on somebody else. So if Trump runs again, and if he does not win again, then it would be much harder, I think, for him, especially if he loses by a significantly larger margin, which is possible. Basically, anytime there's an election, it's not a binary choice. It's really a wider range of outcomes. And there is a significant number of outcomes in which Trump tries to come back against an incumbent president. And let's say Republicans take the House and the Senate in 2022, which I think is a pretty reasonable proposition. After which point, you then have divided government, which always makes Americans happier. Americans have a revealed preference for divided government. They, they like it when the <laughs> one party's not in charge of everything, which also means the Democrats aren't driving the agenda with a lot of their crazy stuff. And what that means is that Biden's, and, and probably by that point, we're out of COVID, you know, or, or things have, have, you know, we're not in pandemic crisis mode. Hopefully we figured out some of the supply chain stuff. Okay, hopefully we're not still having a lot of this inflation craziness, but certainly there's a little bit more stability because you won't have the Democrats trying to cram the entirety of the progressive wish list into one bill. Everything that any progressive has ever written on a napkin, doodled on a napkin and say, this is something that we want. We're going to put this all in one bill and, and see what happens. It'll be fun. That's not going to be happening post-2022 if the Republicans take both chambers. Not much is going to be happening. And if anything does happen, it's going to look a lot more like that bipartisan 69-vote infrastructure bill, which would probably, in its own merits, stripped from all this other stuff, be incredibly popular. So what's Biden going to be doing? He's going to be sitting. He's going to be, you know, seeming like he's, he's more moderate. Why? Because he doesn't have his own side sort of driving him and pushing him and having expectations. They're going to see him as the only check on the restoring of Trump republicanism. So there'll be rally around the flag effect there, because being, being in the minority helps with that. And, you know, moderates, again, if Biden kind of settles in, his numbers will go somewhat up, okay? So if Republicans retake the House and Senate in 2022, Biden's poll numbers will go up. This happens in almost every situation where you have a president whose party loses the House and Senate in the midterms, their poll numbers go up over the next couple of years, which is why Bill Clinton and Barack Obama got reelected in 1996 and 2012, respectively, after their parties got shellacked in the midterms, after Democrats got shellacked in those two midterms. So we should expect the same thing to happen for Joe Biden. Okay. So what that means is you're going to be running against Biden, who's going to be stronger probably relative to you then. Um, people will not feel the same urgency about, you know, Trump coming back. So there's a possibility that he loses by a bigger margin. And it's going to be really hard to just say, well, stolen election again even for him to say that to himself and believe it. Because it's not just about him saying it to other people. It's about him believing it. He needs to believe that he didn't lose. Okay? So there is more risk to Trump running again in 2024 than you would expect. Okay? Because even psychologically. On the other hand, if he doesn't run, he is obviously going to pick the nominee. Okay? He has enough pull, I th and I think still by 2024, he has enough pull to have an outsized impact over who the nominee is, if it's not him. So by not running, but by essentially making everybody kiss his ring and, and kowtow to him and talk about how great he was, and then 
anointing the winner apprentice style, right? Again, talk about something that's in Trump's comfort zone. Then what happens? If the person wins, Trump can say, well, that's my apprentice. That's, that's the person who's going to defend my legacy. I helped them do it. I taught them everything. I'm responsible for the win. And if they lose, the failure's on them. Failure's not on him because he's not running the campaign. He's not the candidate. Well, you know, I would have done things differently. I would have won, right? Psychologically for him as well. It's as much about the personal psychology, the character of the person, as it is about anything else, okay? So if you think about it from that perspective of like, okay, 2024, Trump gets to play The Apprentice again. The Apprentice comes back for one last season, Apprentice Presidency Edition. Or he can go through the exhausting, grueling aspect of the campaign without Twitter. <laughs> he likes the rallies, but without Twitter. And he might lose. And he might lose by a bigger margin. And, you know, that would, that would be more psychologically damaging. I don't think he will run because of who he is. Leave aside all the politics stuff of it. You know, the risk-reward calculus for him, there's, there's no risk whatsoever. And he still gets to be front and center. He still gets to be the center of attention and, and be the spotlight, at least during the Republican primary, if he goes the apprentice route. And, you know, he still gets to probably speak at the convention. He still gets to be deployed as a surrogate. And, you know, if if the nominee is not Trump, but it's somebody else, you know, who, who gets his nod, yeah, you deploy Trump as a surrogate in deep red areas to make sure that those people turn out, right? You don't necessarily have to send him to, you know, suburban swing areas and swing counties and things like that. Your messaging can be different. If he says something, well, you know, you know, President Trump and I agree about a lot of things and we don't agree about everything, blah, blah, blah. You can sort of nuance it, right? But he's still there firing up the base in the base area. And so my gut instinct on this one tells me he's not going to run. He's not going to admit that until the last possible minute. Probably sometime, I would guess, in 2023, because he has to give people, you know, the chance to line up and, and try to, to, to get his endorsement. Because that's an important part of this for him, is that he has to be the one who picks, if he's not going to run, he has to be the one who picks the nominee, I think, psychologically. And, you know, again, <laughs> it's, you look at what he's done and what he feels like he's been successful with in the past. And I just, I think that's the direction that he's ultimately going to go. Okay. You know, I, I, I could be wrong. You could make an equally compelling case that he feels like he has unfinished business, that the feud with, with the media, with Biden and all that kind of stuff, you know, fuels him moving forward. You could also make the argument, and I, I'm sympathetic to this one, that there are going to be people around him who want him to run because it means jobs for them. It, it means moving forward. You know, and we know that Trump is very susceptible to listening to, he, he is, his influenced by the council of people that are close to him and the people that are in his orbit, right? So you could make a case that he will, but I don't, I think we're not discussing enough the possibility that he won't run, that what he will want to do instead is sort of be that person who is the kingmaker. And you, it's less risk. And from, I think his, his perspective, maybe just as much reward to be the kingmaker as it is to be the one who actually is the king. Because then essentially, you know, any, any success they gain, you can say reflects back on you. And if they don't, you just put it all on them. It seems to me like that is the direction that ultimately he will go. We will see, you know, in about, oh, two and a half years, this podcast is either going to make me look like an idiot or like a prescient genius. And uh, we'll just have to kind of wait it out and, and see what it is. But, but I figured it's an issue that's come up often enough that it was worth us having a chat about it on the podcast. So that's going to be a wrap for this episode. Please remember to rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. 
You can find us on the social media places mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. And for Blind Politics, this is Dr. Nolte signing off.